0: Well, good morning. Uh, we're in a, a series that we've entitled "Kingdom Come," and uh, we're essentially talking about the thing that Jesus talked about all the time. Uh, many times when we when we talk about the good news of the kingdom, or the gospel is another way that we that we title it here, in, uh, in this kind of Christian thing that we're in. Um, you know, we we think that it's like okay, well, the the gospel is simply that Jesus, that God loved so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus, to come to live, to die a sinner's death, to rise again three days later, so that one day we can put our faith in him and get to go to heaven. But that that wasn't the uh, that wasn't the gist of of what Jesus was going around and preaching as he was going around to cities and towns and groups of people, large and small. He was preaching about the kingdom of God. And uh, it's kind of summed up in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says, The time has come. This is what he was preaching. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He was in the midst of performing the good news. And so he was literally going around and talking about the kingdom of God. He was always preaching about the, the, the kingdom of God, teaching about the kingdom of God, describing what the kingdom of God looks like, talking about this kingdom and how it differs from the kingdom of this world. Literally, as, as his main sermon series was about the kingdom that he was ushering in as he was sent to earth. And so... Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at one of the parables that uh, Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God and specifically the word of God um, and how it relates to to us. And so, uh, would you mind standing with me? We're going to, if you can, turn to Mark chapter four, and uh, we're going to we're going to read through that the portion of scripture. and And, and if you're new to Christianity, uh, maybe you've. You've probably heard, at least referenced, this story that Jesus tells about the sower and the seed and uh, the whole idea of like casting seeds. Some fell on this kind of soil, some fell on this type of soil. Um, so we're going we're to start off Mark chapter 4. We're going to start off in verse 3, and this is what it says. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some 30, 30, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then, verse 13, it goes down. Jesus starts explaining the parable to his disciples because they're like, Hey, can you, can you give us some explanation of this story? Verse 13, Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? It's almost like he's saying, like this parable is the key to unlocking other parables. Like you, you need to understand what it is that I'm talking about, or else you won't understand anything that I'm talking about in parables. He says the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the takes away the word that was sown in them. Other seed like. Seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Other seed... Like seeds sown in on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop—some thirty, some sixty, and some hundred times what was sown. Lord, I thank you for your word. I, I pray that as as your word goes forth today, that uh, that it would land on good soil, and that it would grow um, into uh, a crop that would multiply and spread beyond ourselves. That uh, that we are filled. And the measure of our fullness is measured by the overflow. And so, Lord, we thank you that you fill us to overflowing. May rivers of living water flow out of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. So, um, this is probably not the first time that you've, like, heard this. Maybe you heard sermons on it. Uh, it's a pretty well-known parable, talking about the sower and the seed. And I've always read this parable um, in terms of evangelism. Like there are four different types of people uh, that receive or not the Word of God. Uh, and You've probably heard sermons on this or maybe even just reading it. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I know, I know different people like this. Like the first person is the person that hears the gospel. And then before they can even leave the altar call, they just pray to prayer. Before they even get out to the car, they've already doubted it and been like, I don't really know. I think that was just like emotionalism and it wasn't a real deal. And they, they, they don't actually end up following Jesus, but they, they made a decision that didn't last. And Satan came and stole it, snuck it stole it, pickpocketed them before they could even get out to their car. And some of you you're like, yeah, I I I know I know people like that. They, they made a profession of faith but then didn't follow through. And then there's the second group of people that these are people who hear the gospel and maybe they were like maybe they even got baptized. Right? They 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 were kind of in, they started attending church, but it was kind of shallow. Like they never really got connected. Uh, they never got rooted in Christ. They didn't get into the Word. Um and so Things get hard, and things didn't turn out the way that they thought or hoped that it could or should, and so they fall away from faith. For any of us, we're like, yes, I, I kind of know somebody like that, or maybe you're in that place right now where you're like, I don't know, I'm teetering on this. And then there's the third person. This is the, this is the person that, like, here's the gospel, and uh, they kind of allow all the things of this world to kind of crowd out and to choke them out, um, Things like money, things like uh, positions and promotions and fame, or other activities, just kind of crowd out their life, and then they fall away, maybe a slow fade from their faith. And for for maybe for some of you, you you can you can relate to that, or you know people that you're like, yeah, I I know that that type of person. And then there's the fourth one, and this is um, this is the person like all of you in here today. Uh, You you've heard the gospel. You've, you've accepted it, you're moving from faith to faith and from glory to glory, right? Like you're living a pretty much perfect life, right? I mean, I see you, you smell good, you look good, I know you are good, and, and like you're, you're, you're just going on Onward and upward, and you are growing fruit that lasts from generation to generation, and things are just going awesome. And so that's like the fourth person, and that's all of us. And then you kind of know the other three; they're they're not here today, right? So you kind of you understand that. And here's the problem: it's easy for us to categorize people. It's kind of what we do. It's kind of what we've done in the past. Um, it's it's easier because it keeps it simple, it keeps it uh, sterile, and it keeps it compartmentalized yeah, I kind of know how all these different these people react to the gospel. But I want to propose something to you today um, that's maybe a little bit different when it comes to this, this story. What if Jesus wasn't talking about four different types of people that hear the gospel for the first time? What, what if he's talking about different conditions of our heart? What if, what if he's simply pointing out how you and I and we respond to truth in general, in life? What if he's not just talking about the gospel? Like, you know, did you know that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again so that you can have more and better life and one day get to go to heaven? Do you accept this, yes or no? What if he's not talking about that, just that, that but, but more than that? What if the reality is is that God is continually sowing seeds of truth of his word into your life? And what he's talking about is actually the attitude of our hearts, of how we receive the word of God into our life. Because depending on the area of my life that God is wanting to bring transformation to, depending on the area of life that he's wanting to actually bring change to, we could act like one or all of these four different types of soils. At any given week, any given day, like you can kind of like find yourself reacting like this. Like maybe you have thorny soil when it comes to your finances. Things are kind of getting choked out, right? Maybe you got really good soil when it comes to relationships, and you're like, you know what, I'm really doing good there, and I'm receiving that, and I'm walking in purity in my relationships, and things like that. Maybe you have kind of some rocky soil when it comes to uh, trusting, trusting the Lord in different areas of your life. And maybe you're, it's like concrete, like nothing's growing. It is hard as a rock when it comes to forgiveness. Like the reality is, is that like there are so many times where God is is sowing seed of his word of truth and telling us about how his kingdom works and, and what, what it is that he's wanting to pour into us and to see grow. He's talking about the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like he's literally pouring those things in and in some areas, man, I'm doing okay on the love thing, but uh, the patience thing, kind of concrete, kind of concrete. Like, I'm still working on that. And I know I should be receiving something, but I, 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 my, that soil is not so good. So what if he's talking about the conditions of our heart? So let's read it in that, in that type of a way. Like, if Jesus is talking about heart conditions and not just different types of people that are categories of like, oh yeah, I know this person, but he's talking about, you and me. Then the first one, the first heart condition I would call a pickpocketed heart. Mark chapter four, verse four. Look at what it says. It says as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. A pickpocketed heart. The first time I went to New York City, I was about 13 years old and I went on a youth group trip I grew up Catholic, so we were going to see the Pope in New York City. I know, probably you're doing other things when you're 13 years old, but I was going to see the Pope, and uh, we went as a youth group, and uh, it was, um, as we were getting ready, our, our youth leader was was kind of letting us know, okay, about the subways and travel, and she'd let us know that about pickpockets, and I was like, what are those? I'm from like upstate New York, I got, I got no idea, i I'd have never been robbed, never been knifed, never been, gun- never. I don't, I got I no idea, never been stolen from. They're like, Oh, you got to watch out, pickpockets are everywhere in New York City. It's like, they are? Yeah, they, they just, they'll, they'll steal stuff right off your body, you won't even know it. So I'm freaking out, I'm like a 13-year-old kid, I'm like freaking out. So I actually, um, Pastor Tom, uh, we went to the same youth group, so he was 13 years old, and he let me borrow one of those belts, money belts. You guys remember these money belts? This was a thing. It's, it was before the belly bag, okay? It was before the, the fanny pack. This thing was like a piece of burlap, you know? You'd put your cash in it, and then you would, you would tie it around your waist so that you could keep your money up close to your skin, do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? And it was like July, so it was like a sweaty mess, okay? Like, nobody wants me to pay for anything. They're like, why are these soaking wet bills, right? And I'm just like, because I'm protecting them from pickpockets. So I get on the subway, I get on the subway, and I'm like freaking out. I'm like a ninja, okay? Like, I'm, uh, nothing moves without me noticing, Okay. You understand what I'm talking about? Or you're just like, I'm staring at people literally like it's probably was not safe for me to do this, but I'm looking at everyone as if they are a pickpocket, like even friends of mine, they're like, I know you, I see you watching me. I know. And I was sure that every pickpocket within a 20 mile radius could see the imprint of the $50 bill that my mom gave me to get a fake Rolex in New York city. <laughs> I was like, so you're kind of walking normal, you know, like this just to kind of keep it loose, so nobody was, like, staring at my, at my gut, you know, This show that I got this huge wad of cash here, which wasn't anything, but I was so nervous, and I will tell you, this story ends up really well. Like, every pickpocket went home that, that, that day feeling defeated because of my ninja skills and my attention to detail. Like, I, I have a firm belief, and I remember this when I was 13 years old, I was like, I, I bet some of them went home and hung their hats up that day. So like, I just... I guess it doesn't have what it takes to be a pickpocket anymore. Like that Justin, that Justin from upstate New York, he broke me. He, his, his ninja reflexes and his attention to detail, I couldn't get anything by him. Like I was, I was on it. And so the point is this a pickpocket at heart is a heart that has the word. It's, it's there, but it, 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 didn't, there's, it hasn't been brought into you. It's a heart that's, it's, the word's been sewn in. It has a promise, but it's not protected. It's not remembered. It's not believed even. It's not covered. And it's snatched in seed form, pickpocketed, and it doesn't even have a chance to grow. And this happens all the time. This kind of thing happens all the time in our lives. Like we hear the word of God, God deposits something into our hearts, and, but we don't write it down. We kind of act flippantly about it. We don't protect it and we don't apply it. We don't do anything with it. We don't, um, we do do anything about it. And we could even say, like, even at the end of a sermon, like, this hasn't happened mostly, but like in the connect corner, you'd be like, hey, good, good preaching, pastor. Like, that was, <laughs> that's a good word. But even then, God did something and a word was sown and you can walk out the door and do nothing with it you like, that was awesome. I'll be back next week to hear you say more about that good word. But if we don't do anything with it, we don't apply it, we don't implant it, it doesn't become part of us, then in seed form, we can get pickpocketed before we even get out the door. And this kind of thing happens to every single one of us. And it's this reality that it doesn't really matter how many scriptures you know, but how many scriptures you live and so the abundance of, of having this, this this Bible in probably 50 different translations and have many Christians have multiple versions of it, the importance is not that we just know it, but that we live it, that we eat it, that we get into it, and that it gets into us. Amen? So verse 10, you'll see this. Um, Jesus just finishes this story about the, the sower and the seed, and they It says, when he was alone, this is afterwards, the 12, his disciples, and the others around him asked him about the parables. They're like, Jesus, can you tell us? We're kind of confused a little bit about this. What's interesting to me is this, that the crowd, the people that he preached the the sermon to, were, were just completely content in hearing a sermon. But the 12 wanted to understand the word of God. Think about it this way. Um, when you go out to eat, and maybe you're going to go out to eat after here, right? When you go out to eat, an appetizer is supposed to wet your appetite for the entree. Now, you may be like, ah, I like to go to a tapas place, or I just like to get breadsticks because they're cheap, and breadsticks and water, and whatever. Like, you go, and you, get, you just get apps and stuff like that. But the reality is that an appetizer is supposed to wet your appetite for the actual meal for the entree, and when it comes to this, when I'm talking about like Jesus preaching this story and this word of God, hearing the Bible preached by a preacher is an appetizer. But don't think that a sermon is an entree. And my fear is that even as we live here in this American Christian culture that we have going on here, is that we, we're, cons- we're considering all of the sermons that we listen to or the podcasts that we hear as entrees, but they're just appetizers that are supposed to... hmm taste and see that the Lord is good. That that man does not live on breadsticks alone. You've heard that sermon, right? You've heard that. He does not live on breadsticks alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so my fear is, is that in the place of like, well, you know, man does not live by every word from Pastor Justin or Stephen Furtick or Robert Morris or insert your favorite preacher to think like, oh yeah, that is the entree. Please do not misunderstand me. A sermon is not an entree. It is an appetizer that should whet your appetite for the word. And so, if we're in a place where we're struggling and feeling like, man, I thought I was, I was just going to be like further along than I am right now, sometimes the reason that we're, we aren't seeing the growth that we were hoping for isn't because the, the seed isn't good. It isn't because the word isn't good. It's because we didn't protect it. We didn't apply it. We didn't mull it over. We didn't eat it. We didn't consume it. We didn't plant it into our hearts. He says this, Jesus said in verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So the crowd was fine with just hearing a parable, but it was his disciples that wanted understanding of the kingdom. Essentially, he says the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom is given to those who want the entree. And get into the word. It aren't just fine with breadsticks. But the breadsticks are supposed to whet our appetite for more. And so I just want to encourage you. As as we talk about the seed and this whole parable. Like the reality is. is like Our job, our role as Christians is to allow the word of God to take root and to take seed into our hearts. And that comes through getting into the word of God. The word of God. Not an appetizer. So. If not, then we allow the next crisis to come in and steal us, to pickpocket us, and we're on to the next thing. Why? Because the word of God is the thing that changes us. My words, anybody else's words, a thousand of those words are good. You can listen to a really good TED Talk, but it is the word of God that transforms you from the inside out. Make no mistake, a TED Talk from the word of God. Make no mistake, the appetizer for the entree. We get into the word, amen? Amen. So that's the first one. The second one is this, an emotionally driven heart. We see this in verse 16 and 17. It says this, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The emotionally driven heart. This is when our spiritual lives are actually dictated by our emotional lives. And this this unfortunately is is rampant in in all all of our lives. What does it look like? It, It looks like when we're really passionate about something and we're really excited and something is brand new and we jump all in for a week, a year, a month, whatever that looks like for you. But then instead we get bored and we think, I don't know, this, it's getting hard and problems arise and it's no longer easy or fun and serving no longer brings the fulfillment that it once brought. And so we feel when we start to ask these questions like maybe God's calling me to something else. Maybe God's calling me to another ministry. Maybe God's calling me to another church. And so instead of digging in and making roots and then we get scorched, offended, and the fruit withers. And the end goal Make no mistake of the seeds that are sown is not to have a leafy life, but to grow fruit in our life. And so sometimes we think, well, I got some green going on. I got a lot of leaves. Make no mistake. The end goal, as you read down through this whole story, he talks about the harvest, that you would bear fruit. And those that fall on good soil, God has an exponential growth, some 30, some 60, some 100 times that which was sown. He does that working of that miracle. But make no mistake, we don't measure our life by leaves. We measure it by fruit. That's the end goal that he's talking about. And when we have this kind of emotionally driven spirituality, then we essentially start following our hearts rather than the word of God. Well, I just don't feel like God would say that. Well, he did. Yeah, but I don't know. No, no, he said it. And we end up following our emotions rather than the spirit of God. Having an emotionally driven heart. Because we're, we're following something that isn't the Spirit of God. Fruitfulness is always tied to faithfulness. So he pours down into this. And essentially, we can short-circuit the, the, the growth of God in our lives when we try to sidetrack problems and hop on to the next thing when it gets harder, when it gets difficult. And we refuse to put down roots where we're planted. So that's the second one, the emotionally driven heart. And the third one, and we're going to spend some time on this one, is a distracted heart. And we see it in verse 18. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns or weeds, hear the word. And then he outlines three things. He says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Unfruitful. Notice that that Jesus uses this word choke. In your translation, it might say strangle. This is a pretty violent word, no matter how you cut it. The reality is, is that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not playing around. And isn't it interesting that the first thing he comes to steal, to snatch it in seed form, but if he can't snatch it in seed form, he comes to kill and destroy, to strangle that which God is planting in your life. So when when the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it's exactly in line with what it is that Jesus is saying, that the role of Satan comes in and begins to take down the word of God in your life because he's always after the word of God getting planted and growing fruit in your life. Never take our eyes off of that. And he says, says, um, the first thing he says, he outlines three weeds, right? The first weed is this the worries of this life. Now, notice that he does not say life distracts us. He actually says the worries of this life is the weed that will choke us out and choke out the word of God in our life. I think it's a very apt word for us in the day that we live in today, the worries of this life. We find ourselves literally spinning with fear and worry all the time. We're tempted to go on the tilt-a-whirl of fear and worry all the time. We, have you ever been so distracted by what might happen next week that you can't be fully present this week? Have you ever been like so, um, so consumed with the worries of this life that you find you can't pay attention to the person that is right in front of you? There's this reality that like fear and worry literally are a down payment on a problem that you may never have. But we keep paying it. We keep thinking, maybe if I keep worrying more about it, it will solve the problem. The problem is this, that fear and worry are not tools of the kingdom of God. Fear and worry are, are tools of the kingdom of Satan. There, there is no fear and worry Used as tools in the kingdom of God, because Satan knows that if he can get you distracted by the worries of this life, then he will keep you busy doing nothing. And and I don't know if you ever felt that way before. I mean, especially in this season of life, like we're just kind of like spinning tops. We're just kind of like, oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this variant? Did you hear about Biden? Did you hear about Harris? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about politics? Did you hear about like? Did you hear, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear about masks and vaccine and non-vaccine? Did you hear about and we are spinning, doing nothing. Busy, but doing nothing. So don't be surprised that when you turn on the news, that what is being peddled is fear and worry. I mean, I, in fact, I literally, I, I, when I turn it on, it's like, what I kind of expect. And, and he, please hear me. I'm not belittling any of that. I'm not belittling COVID. I'm not belittling politics. Um, I'm not belittling the, the things that are going on in this world. But please tell me, That there's more to life than this. Please, please tell me that there is more to discuss than COVID variants and Biden. Please tell me that there is more to life than the worries of this life. Amen. Amen. I tell you, like we get into conversations, um, you know, people. I I get into a conversation. I'm with you for probably half an hour. You're talking with somebody for more than a half an hour. You're going to talk about a COVID variant, masks, vaccines, or Biden. I guarantee it. And if you don't, you're probably weird, right? Like it just, it comes up. It's because because fear and worry are what perpetuate it. It's a thing that's going on, the worries of this life that are tick, 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 ticking all the time in the background. We get so consumed with the worries of this life that we aren't truly living life. We aren't truly living, when we're living consumed with the worries of this life. You know, I was, I was talking to Pastor Tom. We had a visitor a couple weeks ago, and they asked, they said, how, how come, like, how do you create a culture at your church where, you're, where it's not all about COVID and masks and vaccines? How do, you, how do you do that? And Pastor Tom, in his wisdom, said, well, that's easy. We just don't talk about it. Because isn't there more to talk about than that? Right. You're, you're, you're filling up a lot of hours talking about it amongst yourselves. And when you go to Applebee's after church, can we not talk about the Word of God? Something that actually matters in the great scheme of things. Can we not? Is there not a cause? Amen? Can we not have a place where we can begin to just discuss what it is that on the heart of God in the kingdom of heaven As we are residents here on earth, we're not belittling it, but is there not something more to life than the worries of this life? Amen? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. So, the second one, he says this, the second weed that he points out is the deceitfulness of wealth. It's kind of interesting. Notice that Jesus does not say that wealth is the thing that distracts us. He says that the deceitfulness of wealth is a weed that chokes out the word of God in our life. What does that mean? What is the deceitfulness of wealth? It's essentially this. There is this illusion of greater significance that comes with greater possessions and more money. The deceitfulness of wealth is simply thinking that more money makes you something that you aren't. And, and this is something that we all, we all struggle with. We all have these thoughts, like if only I had this, then I'd be happy. If only I had this power, if only I had this possession, if only I had this promotion, if only I, I had this, this, then I would be happy. And even in our giving, we can say, but well, if only I got a 10% raise, then I would be able to tithe. <laughs> but the reality is this, money is just a great revealer of our hearts. If you're generous with little, you'll be generous with much. If you're stingy with little, you'll be stingy with much. If you're trusting in money when there's little, then you'll be trusting in money when there's much. It really doesn't matter how much you get. It just reveals what's already there in your heart. And the thing about deceit is that you don't know when you're deceived. Because if you did, it wouldn't be deceit. You would knowingly know what's happening, right? The thing is, you, you don't know when you're being deceived. And so sometimes you think like, yeah, no, you know what? Jesus is my provider. I'm putting my faith in God. But when the money dries out, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I was putting my faith in money rather than God. And all of a sudden it kind of reveals what's already going on on the inside of us. And I was thinking about this. Do, do you know that like you don't actually have to have wealth to be deceived by wealth? sometimes we think like, oh, this is just an Elon Musk problem, right? Like Elon needs to read this scripture. And we're like, all the rich people, we can just kind of disseminate that because I don't have a problem with it because I'm not wealthy. Hallelujah. You know, like I don't have to deal with this because I don't have wealth. But the reality, thank you, the reality is that you don't have to have wealth to be deceived by wealth. In fact, if we're really going to be honest, what if What if it's people who don't actually have wealth who are most deceived by it? Because it's always the if only. If only I, if only I, if only then I would be happy. Paul talks to his prodigy Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And look what he says to Timothy. He says, for the love of money. Not, Not money, he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he says, some people, eager for money, doesn't mean they have it, just means that they're eager for it. How many of you know people that don't have money, but they're deceived by it, right? You don't actually have to have it to be eager for it. He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What if it's people that don't actually have wealth that may be deceived by it the most? See, wealth in and of itself is fine. It's... It's not necessarily good, bad, or evil. Like it's, it's a gift from God, a financial blessing is, is it's a good thing, that's fine, but it begins to choke you out when you think that it is the answer to life's problems. If only, then I will. It begins to choke us out, Begins that weed begins to take hold when we replace Jesus as our provider with money. When it begins to choke us out when we replace Jesus as our peace, With money, Jesus as our satisfaction with money. So, he says the deceitfulness of wealth and the worry of this life. The third one is this, the desire for other things. I love how Jesus literally leaves that completely open-ended and ambiguous. It's like he just says, oh yeah, and the other weed would be the desire for other stuff. You're like, what does that even mean? Like, what are the other things? So I looked it up in the Greek. This is what it means. The rest of the other things that remain. <laughs> it's like, uh, literally could, could just say like the stuff that's left over. The things that distract us from the one thing that's important. He's like, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things. The, the other things will come along. But when you try to seek all of the other things, expecting that the kingdom of heaven will come along with you, we have it completely backwards. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will come along. And so many times we find ourselves running and chasing after these other things, thinking that it's going to give us the fruit that we so desperately desire, only to find out that it's a weed. Man, I just think, you know, if I could just run after this person, this relationship, this money, this place, this this whatever this thing is, this promotion, if I just run after that, then I will have the fruit that I so desperately want to have, the only to find out that it's only a weed. It's never going to give us the fruit that we want. And So we chase after it, and what it does, it actually chokes out the thing that God is doing in our lives. So, the reality is we live very distracted lives when it comes to this, especially because of things like this that pretty much every single one of us has in our pocket um, or in our hands right now or have been ringing throughout the service. <laughs> sorry, too soon? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to point you out. <laughs> we, we have... All kinds of technology that make us ineffectively efficient. We are uh, multitasking everything and focused on nothing. We are connected to the world and yet disconnected from relationships. We are posting all kinds of fun, filtered photos trying to convince the world around us or maybe ourselves that we're worth it. And it's choking us out. And we don't realize it. We get, we get annoyed when we're with people and they're on their phone and we're like, my goodness, am I not good enough to be, um, you put your phone away so that, you know, we could talk because I'm like, I need to tell you stuff. But then in the same way, we'll be that same person. But it's, oh yeah, yeah, okay, sure, here. We're connected and yet completely disconnected. The desire for other things Notice that he doesn't say that the other things are bad or evil. In all of these things, he, doesn't, he, he talks about the worries of this life. Not life. He said the deceitfulness of wealth. Not wealth. And the desires for other things. Not just other things. These other things aren't bad or evil. It maybe comes to the place of that desire, that obsession that I just need the next thing. I just need the newer thing. I just need the upgraded iPhone. I just need the nicer thing, the newer thing, the, the more, the, the most, the better. And it is a weed that chokes us out. If I just get this, then that will make me happy, only to find out that it never brings the fruit of happiness in our life. It only is a weed that chokes out the only happiness that we can currently have. And sometimes, we get so focused on what could be that we fail to be content in what is. Dreaming about a, some, some pipe dream of what life could be, failing to be content with what we currently have. And it essentially comes to the place where it's like, Lord, until you open up another door for me, I will be content and praise you in the hallway. I'd love to be able to walk into this and I don't necessarily know why this door is not opening, but I'm content praising you in the hallway, not forcing myself into a doorway that is not your will. I will praise you in the midst of this. In the midst of the waiting season, in the midst of the already but not yet, in the midst of like, God, I've been preparing. I don't know why this isn't happening yet, but I will praise you in the hallway. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things all three of these can be boiled down to one thing, which is this. Either God's in control or you are. Either he's in control of your finances and your happiness and the things that you gain or or you are the Lord of that. And when we get to the place where we can rest in the fact that God is in control, then you can face things that are out of your control and not act out of control. You can get to the place where God's in control. Like, I mean, I'd I'd love to get my my hands on this and manipulate and make and all that kind of things, but the more I do that, the more it just messes things up. And so, Jesus, I defer to your leadership, to the things that are out of my control, and I... And because of that, I can trust you, and I don't have to act out of control. Why don't you stand with me? I want to leave you with a thought. And it's this um, if you don't get anything out of uh, what we've talked about so far today, I would encourage you in one thing, and it is this start pulling weeds once you see them start pulling weeds once you see them if you've ever um if you ever planted a garden you know that you can you can sow seed and uh, you can plant it but at the same time weeds are being sown and sometimes you don't see them they're so 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 very tiny just like the good seed right But how many of you know that part of gardening isn't just sowing seed and walking away for for two months and coming back for the harvest, expecting for all of the carrots to be beautiful and growing and your garden is absolutely immaculate? No, that comes through weeding. And sometimes when we fail to pull weeds when we see them, well, those weeds grow so tall that I've literally had conversations with my wife. I'm like, babe, uh, did we mean to plant that? Is that going to be a, is that going to be some, some we're going to eat? It's like knee high by the 4th of July. Like, what is going on with this thing? Like, is this a weed or a seed? And, and the reality is, is like, as we go through this life, asking that question, God, is this a weed that you want pulled or is it a seed that you want watered? What is it that you're doing in and through my life? God, what is it that, that you have planned here? See, because God is always sowing seed, but at the same time, the enemy is sowing weeds. And weeds and seeds grow together. If you don't realize this, take a look at my lawn. Probably your lawn is exactly the same. The only time my lawn looks good is right after I mow it, because it's just green. But if you really look at it, you're like, man, I just don't, do we have grass? I think, oh, no, that's I think that's called crabgrass. Like, I don't think we actually have grass because weeds and seeds grow together and sometimes you don't necessarily see them. And if you don't pull them when they're small, you're going to pull your back out a joint trying to pull it out by the root because if you don't get it by the root, it comes back, doesn't it? Start pulling weeds once you see them. Why? Because the enemy knows that he can pickpocket you when it's in seed form. But once it's planted, what's his plan? His plan is to kill and destroy, to crowd out, to strangle, and to choke. The word of God that is planted in you. He knows that if he can get you distracted by all the worries of this world, by the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desire for other things, that he can choke out the only thing that God is wanting to grow in you. And we can have a very leafy life, but no fruit. We can be busy doing nothing. And he plants those things that we're supposed to water, to cultivate, and to weed. And so for maybe for some of you in here, I don't know, as we, as we end with this last song, maybe, maybe God is pointing out a weed in your life that you just know that you just need to pull. You should have pulled it a month ago. You should have pulled it a year ago. You should have pu- but you know that God is pointing this thing out And you know it's gonna be difficult. You know it might be even unpopular and it might hurt a little bit or maybe a lot of bit. But the reality is, is that you know that this weed is actually strangling and choking out what it is that God has planted in you. Whatever that is for you. I just wanna encourage you to respond today. To just take take an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm gonna lay this thing down. And God, I realize that I need to get this thing out by the root. And how many of you know it's virtually impossible to get one of those weeds out by the root? And he says, it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so our job isn't to break our backs trying to rip out a root by the root. Literally, our job is to say, Jesus, the great gardener, I need you, not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. As I lay this thing before you, I choose to walk in obedience to whatever it is that you've called me to. Let me read this scripture. It says this 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity one weed at a time taking back the land one lie one fear one warped philosophy and for maybe for some of you you know like you know what that 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 little plant of bitterness has grown into a tree and you may need to get the the christmas tree cutter down there to be able to take this thing down but lord i i just lift that to you and ask that you would remove it from my life. Because I want to walk in freedom and it is for freedom that you have set us free. Lord, we thank you for the promise that, of the hope that only comes in you. That hope is not just a white gleaming sign on the front of New Life Church. That hope is alone in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the hope that is found in you. And it's not found in other things. And it's not found in the deceitfulness of wealth. And it's not found in the fear and worry of this life. It is found in the peace of you. And Lord, we repent for trying to find it in other things. And chasing after other things. Thinking that we're going to get the same fruit. Only to find out that it's just a weed. It bears nothing. So Lord, we thank you for that. Maybe as we sing, maybe for you, you just come down here at the front and just allow God to just deal with you, just to say, God, I I just give this thing over to you. What is my first step to do this? Speak to me, Lord. Lord, we lift up you above all other names. We lift up your will above our will. Lord, we lift up you above all of the other things that we desire for this life, the things that we think if only then I will have happiness. Lord, may we find our true peace and satisfaction in you and you alone. We thank you. Let's worship.